From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, and welcome to another edition of LPL Market Signals. My name is Lawrence Gillum, fixed income strategist here on the LPL research team. And I am your host today on a very special edition of Market Signals. So today, here in LPL Research, we have released our 2022 mid-year outlook. So as a team, we've looked deep into our uh, respective crystal balls to help investors and advisors and other interested parties how to think about the economy, the stock market, and the bond markets over the next six months. So uh, with that, we have assembled an all-star crew today to talk through the recent mid-year outlook publication. So with us today... We have our chief equity strategist, uh, Quincy Crosby. How are you today, Quincy? Fine. Thanks so much, Lawrence. And of course, we also have our, our chief economist, Jeffrey Roach. How are you today, Jeff? Hey, Lawrence. Doing great. Thanks. So welcome to you both. Uh, it's an exciting day here in research. So I've been through a couple of these Outlook releases now, and I'm, you know, I'm always impressed with the final product. You know, I think, you know, for, from our perspective, we... I think we have the easy job, right? We write about markets, we write about the economy, but to see the the, the final product uh, and as it's public uh, public and the final publication, it's, it's pretty impressive to see the work that goes into this uh, this this outlook release, and and we'll certainly go through the outlook that's released today. But we also want to spend some time. This is a busy week in markets, uh, so we have some things that could potentially move the equity markets this week. So uh, it is the unofficial kickoff to earnings season. So we'll we'll talk to Quincy about what she's paying attention to this week, and then certainly there's some important economic data this week. Uh, we have some inflationary numbers as well as some consumer expectations that uh, the Fed noted last month were important in its decision making process. So uh, we'll we'll talk through some of of those releases this week. But certainly it's all about the mid year outlook. Uh, and again, we've we've I've been through a couple of these, uh, Quincy and, and Jeff. I think this is your, your first time going through this process. Any kind of first impressions on the the end publication? I mean, it, it seems to me that you know the the designers, the graphic designers, the marketing group, they do a tremendous job with this publication. <laughs> well, hey, I'm used to just making charts out of Excel, right? So um, it's nice when the marketing people make it a lot more pretty than what we normally do with our stuff. Um, so graphics, uh, readability, storyline, you know, people want a story to try and understand what's happening. But those are my initial thoughts. It's a, it's a lot prettier than I'm normally used to. Uh, no, I have to say, I, I think it's extremely smart looking. I like the copy, you know, Outlook, uh, navigating turbulence in a, in a plane, even though I'm terrified of flying. But it, gets, it calms me, um, especially because... We've heard that um, uh, American Airlines is paying their pilots more to come back to work. They're very experienced. So this is a very calming, believe it or not, despite the fact that it's predicated on turbulence, it has a calming effects. And that's good because it's taking us to the second half of the year where we think as we get toward the end that we'll see a bit of calm uh, probably manifesting itself in the markets, presenting a calm in the market. So this is excellent. Great, great point. And well said. Yeah. So the, the theme for this outlook was navigating turbulence. Um, and certainly we have all experienced some some turbulence in the in the first half of this year. Uh, unprecedented, unprecedented levels of, of turbulence in, in some markets, in fact. Uh, so our outlook in the second half, again, navigating turbulence, don't expect the same level of volatility or turbulence that we experienced in the in the first half. We do expect things to get better over the second half. Uh, but we do expect some additional volatility and 
or turbulence to uh, to to continue throughout the, the rest of this year. And frankly, it's going to come down to how businesses, consumers, and central banks kind of how how they steer through these these turbulent uh, markets and and kind of how they perform over the second half of of this year, which is really going to set the tone for. The equity markets and, and the fixed income markets. But um, with that, we have a lot to cover and, and we're going to try to cover this in, in 30 minutes. So why don't we just dive right in? You know, the, the economic outlook is such an important part of not only this publication, but also within our, our uh, strategic and tactical asset allocation committee. We tend to start with the economic outlook and then th that information flows into the other analysis that, that we're uh, performing on stock markets and bond markets. So uh, with that, Jeff, uh, why don't you give us kind of your, your economic outlook for the rest of this year? Yeah, before we hit that next slide, Lawrence and uh, Quincy, one of the things just wanted to highlight for our listeners is that you know, we talk about year-over-year -year annual growth rates. So we might say, hey, 2022 is going to grow at X percent, you know, some a little above 2%. You know, we think 2023 will eke out a little bit of growth as well. But I think what's really, really important to understand, particularly in these environments, is that the annual rates actually mask some of that intra-year economic activity that's going to be very volatile. Just think about Q1 of this year in the U.S. So we had decent growth in real spending. We had some growth in investment. And the headline number for the Q1 estimate was negative driven by trade. A lot of are talking now about Q2 most likely being negative. So the point is when, when we explain to folks that we have these positive growth figures, and then at the same time we say, hey, there's a 50-50 you know, risk of recession, people might say, well, wait a second, that doesn't make any sense. The point is uh, those annual numbers mask, as I like to say, they mask that intra-year, that quarter-to-quarter -quarter volatility. So let's go to that next slide with, uh, with that in mind, and you, you can see it right off the bat. So, you know, you take that midpoint for 2022 in the U.S., for example, you know, around 2%. Um, we're not uh, that outside of consensus. Interestingly enough, there are a number of big investment firms that have even hotter numbers for 2022. Uh, I think that's going to be hard because these are real growth figures. So even though consumers are still spending like crazy, particularly on airline tickets and hotels and restaurants right now, as we're in peak travel time. But the point is real growth is going to strip out the effects from inflation. And that's why you have uh, some, I think, something a little bit closer to 2%, mostly driven by Q3, Q4 numbers, and mostly driven by some stabilization in consumer spending, and a little bit of upside from CapEx from the business side. Uh, again, big picture here. I won't go through all the numbers, but thinking about 2023, the big story is there's a downshift in growth again in 2023, possibly some outright real contraction in the first quarter, in the beginning half of 2023. But again, that should be fairly shallow and not a, a long projected period of, of, uh, of a recession throughout the year. And that's why we still have positive numbers for 2023. One other thing, again, uh, the point of this podcast, I think uh, 
as my colleagues would would attest, is not going through the the gory numbers, but giving you a little more context around this. So let, let's talk just real briefly. You, you don't see any negative signs here. You might say, okay, wait a second. What's the recession story? Again, overall, recessions have to have three things before the National Bureau of Economic Research will define it as a recession. It has to be a significant decline in activity, it has to be broad-based. So it has to be more than just in one sector. It has to be broad-based and it has to be sustained. Uh, uh, it, it's a, a longer in duration. So dramatic, significant across multiple sectors, and it has to last long enough than just a couple months. Those are the things that kind of make up the overall, um, I guess, ingredients of, of, this, uh, of this thing we call recession. Uh, the point is um, equity markets, I think overall, we'll talk about this, Quincy, you, I'm sure you highlight this, you know, we, they don't care about what, what is happening right now. They're always pricing in what we're thinking, particularly 2023, and that's why those numbers are important. One other thing before we'll jump to the next slide again, I'll go fast on the remaining slides, is, is the inflation story. Again, overall theme here is the U.S. tends to have a little lower inflation rate than Europe and some of the other um, uh, large economies uh, outside the U.S. It, and so that's why I think overall you can kind of see those numbers ticking a little bit lower. But unfortunately, we're in this regime where it's possible that we become in the U.S. looking a lot like Europe these days. Slower growth and maybe a, a slightly higher uptick in uh, what, the, what the inflation rates look like long term. Let's hit that next slide, though. Again, this is just big story around um, you know around the outlook. That's why I think that, you know the value of this podcast is big story here is you know you don't have to be rocket science. Think about great uh, financial crisis as to now. You see both the orange line and the blue columns trending lower. Just saying that we're less leveraged as an economy, as a consumer class than we were a decade or so ago. Right, even you can go a little bit farther back, and it's kind of an interesting storyline. So the whole the whole point is, as inflation stays higher, and wages don't keep up with inflation, consumers have to either dip into savings, or increase their access to credit, their usage of credit. I would like to talk about the, the fact that even though we see consumer credit ticking up these days, we're nowhere near where we were from a, of a leverage standpoint in 07, 08. In, in essence, that gives me a little more confidence that the consumer is uh, in a better footing now than we were uh, last time we, we hit a major crisis um, back in 08 and 09. So next slide. And uh, again, big picture here is, um, I'm not gonna spend a, a, a ton of time on this one because uh, we, we've talked about this so much, but you know, part of the inflation story is supply chain. We're actually seeing it, it reverse back finally to see that the, the, the other side of inflation pressures is truly on the, on the demand side. But the supply side, I think, is starting to, to improve. You can see that in the numbers because of things like this, where bottlenecks are easing, uh, ports are getting back to a little bit better where they were at the beginning of this year, particularly when you think about January and the Omicron variant, things were challenged. And so this backlog 
of of orders seem to be easing a little bit, and that's going to be helping the Fed particularly because the Fed can't do anything. Well, I'm broad brushing it. Anything about the supply shocks. Well, I guess I could say Powell said something about that in the latest press conference. They can deal with the demand side. So the fact that inflation is starting to go back to the inflation, uh, the, the the demand side is is a positive for for policy. So that that's the big picture. I think we went real uh, real quickly over this, but uh, I guess in some ways. Uh, Lawrence and Quincy, this is a teaser to read our mid-year outlook. <laughs> We're not going to read it for you and uh, bore you with the details. Uh, this is a teaser. Uh, great presentation, great storyline. I think it's very readable. Should be very helpful for you uh, thinking about the advisors and as they they talk to to clients about this absolutely crazy environment that we are in. Uh, highly volatile. So uh, I think that that's all the slides I had um, just to highlight, I think. Is that right, Lawrence? Or is there's, there another there's slide one, here? There, there's one more, but I think what you're, you're showing here on the screen is an important one. And I think we're in, in later slides, we have a slide that's going to break out uh, these these inflationary pressures based upon uh, supply demand, uh, supply and demand uh, pressures. Uh, there was a great paper by the, 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 the San Francisco Fed recently that kind of uh, differentiated between these supply and demand pressures. Uh, and, and we're going to talk through that in just a second. But we do have one more slide. Do you want to talk through your, your yeah. supply chain issues? Yeah, exactly. So uh, another plug here, by the way, for our uh, what, what we call internally. I know this Market Signals podcast is, is public, but internally we, we have a uh, strategic tactical and asset allocation committee. We talked about the, uh, the, the breakouts of inflation right now being demand-driven or supply-driven. Uh, we We kind of quote unquote, want it to be demand driven because at least we know that the Fed has some tools that address the demand side. And the supply driven story is becoming less of a story as supply chains improve. Blue line here is uh, comes out of the New York Fed and New York Fed uh, tracks a, uh, a, a number of indices, not just out of China, by the way, that, that does tend to get a lot of press. We talk about ports out of Shanghai, uh, but this is a global supply chain index that the New York Fed tracks. Um, we, they update it the fourth business day of the month, and it explains a lot of the movement on headline inflation. Uh, so it takes about four months for it to flow through to headline consumer prices. Uh, and you see that with the CPI number in the orange line there. But, but the good news is that uh, as of June, so this is actually updated. So as of June, this index uh, from the New York Fed actually moves even closer to zero, meaning that the pressure uh, out of supply chains is easing. That's a, that's a good thing moving closer to zero. So again, just supporting the overall theme here on uh, what's driving inflation right now. And uh, let's uh, let's uh, pass it on to my colleagues. So uh, we can certainly interact some more maybe uh, after we uh, talk through our prepared remarks, but that's all I wanted to say to tease out uh, the mid-year outlook. All good stuff. Thanks thanks for that, Jeff. Yep, so switching gears into the, the stock market, I think the, the, uh, the first half of the year ended at or around that down 20% bear market threshold. Uh, we do expect, I think we're one of the, the few uh, research shops out there that that see better days ahead. Uh, so maybe Quincy, you could talk us through what kind of what you're thinking about and what you're you're expecting to see over the second half of this year. Well, you know, a lot has to go right. And one of the headlines uh, that was dominant uh, when we finished the uh, 
first half of the year is that uh, the S&P 500 had a uh, <laughs> terrible um, uh, close, uh, only a little bit better than what we saw in 1970. So that, that you, you saw that all over the press, all over the media, that's all everyone could talk about. And the reason is this, that in 1970, the second half of the year, uh, the S&P 500 climbed higher and the uh, market closed in the green, just a tad, but in, in the green. And then the question then is, is that going, could that happen here in the US? There are many more examples, by the way, of a terrible first half and then recovery in the second half. So a lot does have to go right. And one of them is, is as we just heard from, from Jeff, these pockets of concern, since we're talking about, you know, turbulence and, and the plane navigating all this, the air pockets. Air pockets will remain, but we believe they will ease. And again, especially as you have the supply chain challenges easing, and then you, at some point, the Fed's aggressive uh, campaign to um, rein in or curtail inflation is going to uh, is going to work. I mean, it's going to happen. Although right now, as I think Jeff would would agree, uh, we still have rents that are very high. But there are pockets in the country where we're starting to see rents come down. And folks, why is that so important? It's that rents represent about a third of the court uh, consumer price index. It's an important uh, component. But nonetheless, we expect to see the um, the stock forecast show that we get out this year, perhaps uh, when we close the year in the green. And the reason is we think what's going to happen is the Fed is going to start becoming, I'm not going to say dovish, meaning that they say, oh, well, we don't need to raise rates anymore, but they become less hawkish. That somewhere as we get into the end of this quarter, and certainly as we move into the last quarter, they become less hawkish. You mentioned, uh, Jeff, how the market looks ahead, right? There's an old expression from the trading floor where I started on Wall Street. It is the market gets it first. The market gets the news first. And it always scares everyone that things look horrible. And yet the market is suddenly showing, in this case, right, consumer discretionary names doing very well. And people are like, how is that possible? Things look awful. It's because the market sees the beginning of the end, the, the news becomes uh, less bad. That doesn't sound um, scientific, but that's what the stock market's job is. So you see on this chart, the forecast, and the question will be which part of the markets actually pull us, us through uh, toward the end. And what I want to go over, let's please go to the next slide. I want to go over what we should be looking for. So right now, one of the things that's interesting in the stock market is we see all prices coming down. We could get into, you know, the, because energy, by the way, folks, is the big um, producer of profits in, uh, in, in this quarter. You're going to see it as we go through. And yet we're seeing all prices come down. The question is, what does that do to energy as the top uh, producer for the, uh, for the stock market overall? Uh, we should be seeing at some point if oil prices continue to come down, especially at the pump, that's what we're looking at, the gasoline pump, we should start to see at some point then that consumer discretionary names start to get 
a bid, start to have interest from the market. And the reason for that is uh, we know that folks, particularly the low wage earners, they are there in terms of their necessities, about 70% of their earnings go towards necessities. And by the way, travel to work back and forth is one of those necessities, food, energy, and rent. As we move up the wage scale, you could argue that higher prices at this uh, gasoline station is not as cumbersome. If we go to the very top of the wage scale, uh, the fact is that the high wage earners, only about 31% of their earnings go towards necessities. This is based on Federal Reserve um, uh, research. But the point is that overall, higher gasoline prices truly affect people who can afford to pay those prices at the pump. Psychologically, we know it factors into uh, their view of inflation. It factors in, by the way, the view into whom they want to bring back into the uh, Congress and ultimately, if it's high, into the White House. It's a powerful number that we see every day. So right now, we are going into this earnings season. We're in it. Uh, the I call it unofficial because everyone knows we've already gotten a, a handful of earnings from S&P 500 companies. But we will look to see as prices come down, do we see a shift in where the allocations are going? And that means moving more into consumer discretionary if gasoline prices come down. They have a seesaw effect and we're going to see that work. By the way, I just want to point out, it hasn't been working yet. We're going to see if during the course of this quarter, we begin to see gasoline prices come down and do we start to see a deep sigh of relief in the market that then the consumer has more discretionary income to spend. Uh, the consumer, as everyone knows, is responsible for about 70% of the overall economy. So Jeff always likes to say, right, Jeff? Don't look at what the consumers say in the surveys. Look to see what they do. Everyone says that because, you know, I could say that I'm miserable uh, and you know, I think things are, are not going well, but yet I still go out and, you know, uh, travel and, and, and go out for dinner, uh, uh, just enjoy the ability to be out after, after the prolonged COVID uh, lockdowns. So that's the forecast as you see. But I, what I want to do is give a general view of what everyone can see every day in the market and what we're looking for. So please let's let's move. Um, so you can see the the forecasts. Ours are actually really how shall I say this conservative but pragmatic. Uh, I wouldn't say that we're at the high end of the scale or in the low end. We're we're we're, we're pragmatic. Uh, one of the things that I love about joining this team is that I never hear my colleagues talk about being bullish or bearish. It's always being pragmatic about where we are headed. And that's healthy because you don't want to get caught up in, I call it a theolo theology, if you will, of being bullish. And then you're afraid to deviate from that or bearish. You're afraid to deviate from that. When you're pragmatic, you can also make changes. And so we are constantly looking for the footprints in the market to uh, let us know whether or not we need to make changes either on the upside or the downside. So you could see this. Please. So we're going to bonds, but before we move over to bonds, I want to wrap up and package the view on, on stocks. Much has to go to be able to 
finish the year in the green. A couple of important things here. One is that inflationary pressures come down, that it's it's not, you know, it's not debatable. It's something that we see, that the man in the street sees it, the Fed sees it. Sometimes I think the Fed is not near the man in the street because the man in the street tends to know a bit more about where inflation is headed. But I think we're going to see those numbers pull back. The market is going to see it first. And then I believe somewhere before we get to the end of the year, the Fed becomes again, less hawkish, less, less moving towards taking the economy and pushing it deeper into a downturn. Uh, I think that is going to get the market to shift and we'll start to see investors coming in. In addition to that, right? I can't finish this up without saying this. You have the election effect, the uh, end of the of the year. As you go into um, the election, it can, uh, the congressional elections and the presidential elections, the market tends to be off. The market tends to be jittery and nervous. Uh, usually what happens is the minute the election happens, the next three months, the market has a positive move higher. And then when we end the year, wrap it up, you can see that the market ends, you know, in, in positive territory, actually, with the first three months, the strongest components of the of the of the uh, positive close. However, this year, you've got the issues of inflation. So when we see the, the statistics, they don't all include a Federal Reserve fighting inflation. That said, we do think that the Fed campaign is aggressive in us and meeting the demand side with the supply side challenges easing too should give us a very nice transition to perhaps a more normal uh, more normal market. Great stuff there, uh, Quincy. And I think the um, you know the, the inflation and in, in the Fed is a good segue into the, the fixed income markets and and certainly the the turbulence theme that we've outlined within our outlook is is particularly germane to what we've seen and experienced in the fixed income markets. You know, the fixed income markets are off to the worst start to the year ever, uh, as measured by the the uh, Bloomberg aggregate bond index. Uh, worst start to a year. Uh, for fixed income just in general since 1788, uh, so a year before the actual Treasury Department was was uh, was created. So it's been a tough go of things in, in the fixed income markets. And it has been because of that aggressive repricing of Fed rate hike expectations that we've all experienced in, in, in all markets this year. You know, coming into the year, uh, you know, the, the, the Fed was expected to raise rates maybe one or two times, but now uh, markets are expecting the Fed funds rate at the end of the year to be around 3.4, 3.5%, up from close to zero. So that type of aggressive repricing has put upward pressure on yields across the entire yield curve uh, and has caused you know deep, deep losses within the fixed income markets. That said, and uh, you know, as a fixed income person, I'm not generally optimistic, but in this case, uh, you know, given the the backup in yields that we've already seen, we do think that the value proposition for for core bonds and, and fixed income broadly is the best it's been in, in quite some time. So, one of the things that we've we've experienced as asset allocators over the of the past few years, anyway, is this this acronym TINA. The, there is no alternative. Uh, so we've seen asset allocation portfolios heavily geared towards uh, equities. Uh, at the expense of, of core bonds and, and fixed income broadly. But the backup in, in yields that we've seen this year already 
have caused a lot of these markets to reprice into yields that are you know, certainly above long-term averages uh, in, in many cases, but uh, and, and again, in many markets, above their longer-term averages. So value has been restored into the fixed income markets. So for those investors that are unwilling to take that equity risk or or you know just, the, just don't want to have that volatility profile in their portfolios as much as they have historically, you know, fixed income is an attractive option. Uh, at, you know, at this point in the cycle, again, it's not. We're not calling a top to yields. We're not saying that the yields can't go higher, but we are saying that given the repricing that we've already seen, we do think the worst is behind behind us now. But given the repricing that we've already seen at at this point in the cycle, uh, we do think that the value proposition for for fixed income broadly has improved, and and we do think there's a lot of uh, you know decent alternatives within the fixed income markets to add to portfolios. You know, one of the things that's been disappointing in the, in the fixed income markets is the, you know, the, the, the lack of diversification benefits with, with an, uh, owning a, a treasury security or, or core bonds broadly. You know, one of the, the three value prop, or one of the value propositions for owning core bonds is, uh, is diversification. The other two are liquidity and, and income. Liquidity it hasn't changed, uh, you know, much at all over the over the course of the past year. You know, the, the fixed income portion of your portfolio is still going to be the most liquid part of your portfolio. That hasn't changed. The income component has actually improved, uh, as we just saw on the, the previous slide. So we think that's that's a. Uh, that part of, of the equation uh, is going to help core bonds on a go forward basis. But the diversification benefits that we've that we've not experienced this year, uh, and we've seen equity markets go down and, and bond prices fall uh, at, at the same time, has been disappointing. Uh, and what we're showing here is that you know since 2000, that stock bond correlation it's not always negative. Uh, you know there are times it, where you know we do see stocks and bonds moving together. It doesn't make this experience any any better, uh, but you know it it does kind of point to the fact that this isn't a unique situation, and stocks and bonds have over time moved uh, in the same direction. That said, now that we've seen this back up in yields to more normal levels, to to levels that we haven't seen. Uh, on uh, you know in in over a decade, we do think the diversification benefits or the potential for di uh, diversification benefits has improved, uh, you know, pretty meaningfully over the course of this year. So, you know, at these levels, there's more of a cushion now for for fixed income markets to rally during equity market drawdowns. In fact, that's what we've seen over the past month or so is that as equity markets have sold off. We have seen fixed income markets rally, uh, and and that's one of the you know again one of the core tenets of owning fixed income is that diversification benefit. It's lacked it's been lacking the first say five months of the year, uh, but we do think now that uh, markets have repriced the uh, that that value proposition and owning core bonds from for its diversification benefits has improved as well. So that's really uh, about it for for fixed income, and I think that's all we have for the outlook. Any final points on the outlook before we move into what to expect over the week ahead. Yeah, may I may I just jump in here? I want to make one thing very clear and that is folks, a bear market doesn't mean we're going into a recession. And this is a, a tug of war within the market, the strategists, some saying we're already in a recession, many saying no, we are not in a recession. Uh, and and it, there, there's no uh, link that says just because you're in a bear market, it means absolutely you're going into a recession. So right now, our view is we are not in a recession now. Obviously, we keep monitoring 
all of the necessary barometers. But right now, there's no linkage that just because we're in a bear market, we go into recession. And the other aspect that I do, do want to mention is this market can turn on a dime. And I want people ask all of the time, Quincy, how do we know when we're getting out of a bear market? How do we know when we're turning? One of the things to look for is the momentum in the turn. I, I can't stress this enough because even we're talking about this week and last week, we saw the market go up uh, you know, in terms of price handling, but there was a lack of momentum. And one of the things you see historically, when you shift out of the bear market and, and, the, and the market's moving, there's no, there's no uh, skywriting to tell you that we've shift, shifted, but what happens is the momentum, the surge in volume just kicks in and it tends to give you a what we call a viable turn in the market. And it usually is associated with, as I said, some major shift in what has been pushing you down into a bear market. And in this case, it is the Fed, it is inflation. And when we see the surge, trust me, the market is going to notice it. And I say, pay attention to the shift in direction of where the market moves from consumer staples, shifting over to consumer discretionary. That will be a major, uh, a really a major psychological, but also obviously empirical change in the uh, allocations, but it represents the market getting out of a bear market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are good points. The only thing I would add to Lawrence is that a um, couple of things, just really when I think about that phrase front loading, in the rate hiking cycle, yeah. it's, it's, it's just so important for, for our advisors to understand, you know, it's been a little bit of a, you know, we've been in a sweet spot in the sense that the economy, particularly uh, in the US has had some core stabilization within the consumer space, high excess savings, strong job market, et cetera, to allow the Fed to be able to front load but I want to just take that next step, which is extremely important. The whole point of front loading is meaning that it's not measured for a whole period of time, meaning as we front load, we'll see the Fed eventually say, OK, look, we're, we're going to be a little less aggressive because we all front loaded. So it's it's taking the punch bowl away. Right. I started my career in 04. So the old Greenspan comment there. But it's not smashing all of the remaining tables and and uh, wine goblets, uh, if you will. You know, it's the front loading, and as we go move past summer, particularly some peak travel summer months, be able to see some of that easing. The Fed can be less aggressive because they front loaded, and so that should help us uh, and help uh, the Fed all of us uh, go through those those periods of turbulence to keep in with that that theme we have. All right, great, great stuff there, uh, Jeff and Quincy. Appreciate the comments on on the outlook. Certainly for our LPL advisors, uh, if you're watching this before Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, hopefully you'll you'll uh, tune in and and listen to the rest of the team talk about uh, you know the outlook in, in greater detail. But maybe in the interest of time, maybe a, a couple of comments, Quincy, from you on the unofficial kickoff to earnings season, kind of what you're paying attention to this week, what yeah. you're, what you're hoping to hear. Um, and, you know, is it all about forward guidance or is it more about pricing pressure? Just kind of some of the things that, that you're, uh, you're, you're looking for. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, you're always looking for, you know, uh, operating margins. I mean, especially in this period where wages are higher, 
uh, the input costs are higher. You want to see how, how companies are, 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 are managing for the bottom line. This is going to be very important. But as you pointed out, the guidance is crucial. Uh, we are looking to see what companies are seeing, what they're seeing, what their customers and clients are seeing. Uh, it couldn't be more important right now because, again, there is this Federal Reserve tightening, tightening financial conditions, trying to uh, rein in curtail inflation, and uh, we want to see how it's actually affecting earnings. So this week, we have the banks. Uh, we're going to hear from every type of bank, uh, banks that you know deal with mortgages, banks that deal with retail customers, banks that are more global. Uh, that's going to be a very interesting one for sure. But we'll get a, a broad picture of what they have to say about loan origination. And one thing too, do they see any defaults? Because in previous periods, as, as Jeff alluded to, we've had the defaults early on. Uh, but you, we're coming into this. I think uh, companies have, have cash. They raised money in the market when rates were extremely low and almost negative. Um, and individuals also have, have cash. Uh, so we want to hear from, from that. That'll give us a good picture. But we had today, uh, we heard from PepsiCo. And that was great because it seems as if folks are still spending money on snacks uh, and, and, and drinks. And, and, and the report was actually very good. The guidance, guidance was good. Because what we're watching in that space is to see if uh, consumers are going down brand, moving to off-brand labels in order to, uh, you know, in order to save money. So the fact that they could go with the labels that PepsiCo has is, is actually a, a, a positive sign that, that consumers are, are continuing to spend the little bit extra uh, when it comes to their favorite, um, their favorite foods in the PepsiCo um, brands, with the PepsiCo brands. That's interesting. And, oh, speaking, I just wanted to say this because <laughs> Jeff mentioned this. We'll hear from Delta this week. And this is important because what we want to hear from them is whether they're seeing our consumers buying tickets uh, at these prices or are they are they holding off and what do they see post you know vacation time? It's going to be important. Um, and, and obviously all of us as consumers want to hear, do they have enough pilots? I think they had to pay $10,000 to get somebody to agree to not get on one of the flights over the, over the past weekend. This is important for all of the consumers to hear from one of the, the major airlines in this country. Those are, those are great insights. And I, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that this, these are, this is one of the more important earnings seasons yes. uh, coming into, to, into this earnings season, especially after the, the, the rough start that we've had to, to the year for the equity markets and to kind of transition into the recovery that we're, that we're expecting. So great stuff. I'm sure we'll have more on earnings as the earnings season progresses. Uh, the other important uh, topic this week, of course, Jeff, is inflation. We've got the CPI reading. It's uh, scheduled to be released on uh, Wednesday tomorrow as, as we're, we're film or taping this. It's expected headline numbers are expected to be, again, close to uh, consumer price increases that we saw in the early 80s. 8.8 .8 is consensus expectations. Kind of what are you thinking? What are you looking for? And, and kind of what are your expectations for inflation, uh, the inflation reading uh, for, for tomorrow? Yeah, well, the devil's in the details, uh, Lawrence. So we know right off the bat that inflation is going to be a little bit wonky for June. 
because again, this is for the month of June, we know that prices at the pump, AAA, national average across the country for you know retail, regular gas, you know, hit a peak the middle of June and actually fell off pretty decently the latter half of June. So depending on how much the BLS will wait, we know it's kind of like the uh, the jobs reports you know, in terms of collecting this data. There's, there's a real chance that the inflation headline number is going to be a little bit hotter than what it actually truly is when you parse out that really important piece of information that energy prices moderated the latter half of June. I think uh, another thing to kind of think through as you go into this CPI report is that this is a very nuanced report, so very different from a durable goods uh, picture and services. So it tells a completely different story. So you could almost argue, well, depending on what component you're looking at, you're going to have a very different storyline that comes out of it. Whether we like it or not, though, here's, here's the bottom line. We, I, I think everybody agrees that the PCE deflator is the better inflation metric, and that's why the Fed prefer, prefers it. But whether we like it or not, the CPI metric goes into Social Security cost of living adjustments. It goes into rent calculations. It goes into really our comparisons with inflation across the, uh, the globe. You know, not every country has a really nice detailed PCE deflator uh, methodology. So because of all those reasons, the CPI number, whether we like it or not, does flow into places that truly hit us where it hurts, and that's our wallet and purse. Uh, so, um, so you got a, a great pick here uh, from our Bloomberg screens, and uh, that just kind of under, underscores kind of the headlines. I know we're going a little bit long here, but those are some of the things I just want to kind of drip out there for our listeners to, to think about in terms of how do we digest it and why do we even care about it, even though we might say, hey, it's not a, a really, quote unquote, good or perfect measure of inflation. It still hits us. It still yeah, impacts sure. everything um, really from, from uh, top to bottom in this, in this economy. And for sure. And last month's release was, was pretty market moving, particularly on the, on the fixed income side. We, we saw these uh, headline numbers higher than what, what markets were expecting. And we, we saw yields jump up to 350 on the, on the, the 10 year treasury. Those have come down a little bit, but certainly anything above that 8.8 .8 headline number could be market moving for both stocks and bonds. Uh, so we'll certainly be on the lookout for that this week. Um, we are up against time, uh, so we'll have to end it at that. Certainly want to uh, uh, thank Jeff and, and Quincy for their time today. It was great insights as always, and certainly appreciate you guys providing your, your market and econ perspectives. Obviously, thanks to Neil for, for all the help oh. making this uh, ready for public consumption. Uh, and of course, thank you to all the listeners out there. We do have to give a, a quick shout out to our colleague, uh, Jeff Bookbinder. He's under the knife right now. I'm not, not sure why. It may be, uh, he may be uh, you know, trying to have his Casey fandom removed. I don't know if that's going to be a successful surgery or not, but uh, we certainly want him to uh, get well soon and, and uh, hope, hope for a speedy recovery uh, for our colleague, Jeff Bookbinder. So uh, with that, we will be back next week at the same time and same place. But until then, you know, thanks for listening and, and hope everyone has a great week.
This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.